All sports, all the time. There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. This is the Spoken Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell. Man, that kid, he can ball, man. He can ball. Touchdown, Kansas City! Patrick freaking Mahomes, baby! Uh, Let's talk some sports, because that's what we're here to do. You are tuned in to the Spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance Twidwell. This is the Spoken Podcast. I am your host, Lance Twoodwell, here inside the Johnny's Tavern Studios outside of 119th Street. This is our second show here. Needless to say, we're really glad to be here and do, doing the show here. We've actually moved locations inside our own location, believe it or not. Uh, this this side's a little bit more secluded, so I actually really like this a lot more. And there's actually a big high school game going on here in Kansas City right now, Blue Valley North and Shawnee Mission Northwest. Didn't want to get in the middle of all that, but nevertheless, we're still going to get this show done because we got episode 92 tackle literally and figuratively. We're so glad to be here tonight, guys, and we're so glad all of our streamers, YouTubers, podcasters, all the people that join us each and every week and now our live audience, thank you so much for taking this time to be with us on a Friday or wherever, however you're listening to this show. We're so glad to be here. And I want to say something before we get this show started. I actually heard a story tonight uh, regarding a uh, new GM in the major leagues by the name of Kim Ng. And uh, the reason why this is such a big deal is because of the fact that for the first time in Major League Baseball history, we have a woman GM. Now, some people might not think that's a big thing or they think this is a fluff piece. Let, Let me just reassure you guys one thing here and there. This woman has actually absolutely put her work in. She has worked her way up as a actual intern with the Chicago White Sox over two decades ago. And she has worked her way up all the way to being a general manager of a major league baseball team. And I just just witnessing stuff like this is something that I consider myself fortunate to be able to see. Because, yeah, you see history and you see things in the history books. Or you watch ESPN Classics. You're like, damn, I bet that was awesome witnessing live. Well, this is something that we get to witness live. And I am so glad to be alive during something like this. And I think that the Marlins should be absolutely proud of themselves for making, making history, quite frankly. And I think that Kim's going to do an amazing job. And I just wanted to start the show off by talking about that. But throughout history, the NFL has evolved significantly. We've seen the league go from a defensive-driven league to a run-heavy league to a pass-heavy league currently. I think we oftentimes forget just how much this beautiful game has evolved over the decades, but nothing has evolved more, and this game in particularly, more than the tight end position. Starting out as nothing more than an, on, an extended blocker for the run game to now being a premier passing target in a good number of NFL offenses, this position in particular couldn't be more different today than it was yesterday. And no one in the history of the NFL has played that position at a higher level than Travis Kelsey is right now. Travis Kelsey is the best tight end I have ever seen play this game, and I'm not, and I'm going to tell you why. Earlier this week, I broke down some numbers in regards to a uh, up to this point of their careers between Kelsey and the often regarded tight end goat Tony Gonzalez, and where they currently stand against each other. Well, here they are: Tony Gonzalez and Travis Kelsey through 100 career regular season games. Tony Gonzalez has 435 receptions, 4,250 yards, and 42 touchdowns. 
And then Travis Kelsey with the exact same amount of games has 565 receptions for 7,234 yards and 43 touchdowns. And despite playing in 166 fewer career games to this point of his career, Travis Kelsey only has nine fewer games, nine fewer 100-yard games than Tony Gonzalez in his career. And what about the playoffs? Well, unfortunately, Tony G didn't really have much to show in the playoffs with only 286 total yards and four touchdowns in seven career playoff games. But what about some of the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp in particular? How does Travis Kelsey compare to him? Shannon Sharp played in 18 playoff career playoff games. He rallied, he tallied up three championships with the Broncos and Ravens, along with 62 receptions, 814 yards, and four touchdowns. Well, in nine fewer career playoff games, Travis Kelsey is only trailing. Uh, Shannon Sharp by 10 reception, or uh, he's trailing in receptions by 10, only 182 fewer yards, and actually has Shannon Sharp beaten the touchdown department with six. And here's the frightening part that we all need to remember and acknowledge right here, right now. Kelsey seems to only be getting warmed up. No, Kelsey isn't a young player anymore, even though it seems that way, with him really putting himself on the map over the last few years. But what he's been able to do on a consistent basis has been nothing short of historical. With seven games to go this season, Travis Kelsey only needs 231 yards to extend his already ongoing NFL record with five straight 1,000-yard seasons. He's also on pace for over 100 receptions, which if he does eclipse 100 catches, he would stand alone amongst all tight ends ever with multiple 100 reception seasons. And to bring it back home against once-known tight end GOAT, not only in KC but in NFL history, if Travis Kelsey gets to 1,000 receiving yards this season, he would pass Tony Gonzalez for the most 1,000-yard seasons by a tight end in NFL history of the five in seven fewer seasons. Travis Kelsey may never get to year, or to 17 touchdown seasons like Gronk did in 2011, and he may not get to year 17 with like Tony G did in his career. But what Travis Kelsey is doing right now has been has never been done by any tight end ever, and to me, places him as the best to ever play the position. In just the last three seasons since Mahomes took over, Kelsey's numbers have gone up rather significantly. From 2014 to 2017, Travis Kelsey averaged 77 receptions, 975 yards, and just under six touchdowns. From 2018 to right now, Kelsey is averaging 101 receptions, 1,310 yards, and just under nine touchdowns. With Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey is putting up unprecedented numbers, which is the point of emphasis here if we're being honest. But even with average starters to mediocre backups like Alex Smith, Nick Foles, and Chase Daniel, Kelsey was still pacing himself to, at worst, finish as a top 10 tight end ever. And here's the part of Kelsey's game that doesn't nearly get enough praise, and that's his durability. Since missing his entire rookie campaign with a leg injury in 2013, Kelsey hasn't missed a single game to injury. And if we know anything about value, it begins with availability. Kelsey might be in his 30s, but he's playing like he's in his mid-20s and is as healthy as any wide-eyed rookie tight end in the league right now. 
And to answer the question, I have no idea how long Kelsey's dominance will last. All I do know is, it ended. To, if it ended today at this very minute, it would already qualify as the most impressive streak by a player at his position and that the world has ever seen and possibly will ever see again. Some franchises seem to draft a certain position very well. From Tony G to Travis Kelsey, it's glaringly obvious where the Chiefs have gotten it right. And it's at the most evolved position of them all when it comes to pro football. And I want to take a quick break here because when we get back, we got a couple of little things we want to do in this next segment, guys. We have our guy, Duncan, coming on to talk about this amazing charity that we're going to have going this next year that I cannot be more excited about. And obviously, we're going to get a review on the Chiefs and Panthers game. That thing was damn near close, guys. We had a nail-biter the entire way through. I cannot wait to break this one down because we got all damn week to break this one down. We're going to really chew on that one for a little bit. But first and foremost, we're going to get our guy, Duncan, after this break. We'll get back to that after this. Back at it again on the Spoken Podcast for segment number two. I am your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the Johnny's Tavern of 119th Street location. I guess you would call this our newly found studio. We're so glad to be here, guys. I got my guys, Trevor Twidwell, Eddie Ortiz, and we're really excited. Like I said, we got Gat on the ones and twos as always. We got a great live audience here. Before we talk any more sports, any more Chiefs, you guys are going to get plenty of Chiefs, I promise you that. We have our guy Duncan from the Tailgate Podcast, also a, a sister podcast of the KCPN family, if you will. Duncan, how are we doing tonight, brother? Oh, doing fantastic, man. Glad to be on. Appreciate I like it. Guys. I like it. Uh, I, let me do this. I think the last time I saw you, my beard was like just as long as yours, or maybe even a little longer. Yours, yours looks pretty well manicured. Mine, I'm just kind of letting go crazy. I, it still looks great, bro. It's still, I, I have to admire it. I have to give you. I appreciate that. Right back at you, bro. I appreciate you as well, man. Well, we're glad you're here tonight, man, to take some time with us. Um, obviously. We can sit here and just chat sports like we would normally do whenever we see each other. But there's a, there's a particular there's a particular reason why you're actually here tonight, and I wanted I actually want to get your thought or want, just basically give us what you have going on tonight and what we are actually going to be doing here with the Tailgate Podcast with KCPN. Quite frankly, I want to get your uh, just take the floor, man. Let us know what's going on. Well, so here on the uh, with the Tailgate Podcast, that's with uh, myself, Ty James, and Aaron pa- uh, Aaron Passout. Excuse me, Passout, uh, and it started with them. This was Aaron's baby for a long time, and uh, he, he had the Tailgate podcast at one point originally, and now we've just kind of ran with it over the last several months, uh, which the first one we did started with the draft, and so they are both big draft guys. I mean, I am too. I'm NFL is my, my jam for sure, um, and so they have a draft game that they've been doing for several years, and it started when Ty was in college. He went to Mizzou. 2011, big big year from Zoo, Blaine Gabbard and Al Smith coming out, yep. and so he and some friends decided, hey, let's spice up the draft. Let's let's have a little more fun in the first round. Come up with a game, and so it is a pick prediction based game with uh, points merited based on correct predictions and whatnot. Um, and so they did it that year. Uh, Ty and Aaron were working together a few years back, and he he pitched it to uh, Aaron just as fun, just to do for fun among friends. And Aaron's like, oh hell yeah, like, let's let's do that for sure. And so they started it uh, 2016, um, and then it, it evolved into from just being single people doing it uh, or individuals into uh, team-based, and uh, it's it's evolved pretty solidly. And last year is when we really took off with it and decided to do full-on teams. We did it at Taps on Main, uh, which is where Ty is the general manager at, and where we we t- we film most of our episodes, and um, we. Uh, 
did two. We had two. Or we had two marker boards. Ty was on one team, Aaron on another team, and so you make the predictions. We had a lot of fun with it last year. We did the entire first round, and so the the points are are given based on. Uh, the, the predictions, and so you got the two teams. One team you flip, who gets one, and then they get all the even picks or uh, odd picks. The other team gets all the even picks, and so you make your prediction. You and your team consult, make your prediction. You get the pick right, you get five points. If you get the position right, you get three points. And if you at least get the right side, a player on the right side of the ball of your prediction, you get one point. Zero, obviously, for nothing. Where this gets interesting is the other team can challenge your pick. But they have to they have to specify who what player they think is going in that slot. If they're correct, you get zero. They get the ten points. If you're wrong, though, you lose five. Okay. And so we were drinking, having a good time. I mean, we're the tailgate podcast. We drink beer while we're while we're sitting there talking our sports and everything. Um, but uh, it, it got into a lot of fun, a lot of back and forth. Like you straight up would see, like we'd, we'd all be Josh and everything like that, and you'd, the pick would be coming down, and other, everybody just huddles together, and it's uh, it was almost like a war room type feel uh, at certain points. And so, but this is something we've been doing for fun. Aaron came up with this idea uh, a few uh, a few months ago. Really, he's been kind of work. He's been toying with this for a while. Why not take this across the Kansas City Podcast Network? And that's when he decided, let's, let's throw up a challenge yeah. to you guys. And just to icing on the cake, let's make it for charity. Let's, you know, raise some funds. That's why we're, we made the challenge last week. Uh, we are raising money for it. Or, or, I'm sorry, we want to start raising money for it as soon as possible uh, since the draft is still six months away or five months away. And so we figure that the quicker we get on this, the bigger it can be by the time we actually roll around to late April. Uh, and so this is, uh, that was our formal challenge last week. You guys on one team, us on another team. There's actually talk that uh, City Barrel Brewery in downtown Kansas City wants to host us. Now we're talking. Nice. We've done we've done one show oh, there right. already, and they are extremely accommodating. They're awesome dudes out there. And they have some pretty damn good beer, too. Um, that doesn't hurt. I mean, if we're going to yeah. be honest here. I, mean, I said City Barrel. I meant, I meant Cinderblock. I, I know what you meant. I know what you meant. We have, <laughs> we're, we're getting ready to do another one at City Barrel, so I apologize, Grant, and everybody at City Barrel. But Cinderblock will be hosting. I'm sure Gat can edit it out. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's, it's on my mind because literally Grant asked us, like, when are you guys coming to shoot at City Girl, man? Like, literally just two days ago. We can multitask. It's all right. You yeah, know, you know, yeah. multiple locations. Yeah. I mean, we're still shouting out to Kansas City Breweries. There you go. Uh, doing, doing God's work. In hey, that's what I like world. to call it. That's, that's what I like to quantify it as. Uh, but no, yeah, this is, uh, this is something that could be a lot of fun. Yeah. And, uh, there's, it's one of the early podcasts on KCPN. Uh, if you go back and look at some of the past videos, and it's four and a half hours long. Don't get me wrong; we did the whole entire first round, Damn. so it was getting a little bit sloppy by the end there. I will pull. Well you shaved before, and then your beard looked like that afterward, right? Is that what happened? It just grew over four and a half hours. It was like so Tim Allen Santa, Santa Claus, Claus. you know? Oh just, man, it was spectacular. Oh well, yeah, I got the gut for it too. Um, no, but it's it's so much fun, and we, that's, that's just taking it up to another notch by having you guys on one team, us on another. Absolutely. Um, oh yes, it'd be, guys. I can't tell you how how much fun this is. Oh, it's gonna be a blast, especially when we get a dub, you know, and then this whole thing, you know. I what mean, mean so. you can. I, this is this is what I wanted. I 
wanted. We're done. And this is sober. This is sober. Like, let, let's get a few of those uh, cinder block be- beers in us. You know what I mean? We, I mean, we threatened to go into Fight Club last year, and that was amongst members of my own team. And I know the rules of Fight Club too, so we we got this down. We got the, yeah, we got we got this down. I might I might bleach my hair like Jared Leto did in the movie. You know, I might, I might make this a real thing. Get your ass beat like Jared Leto. Yeah, I get my ass beat like Jared Leto. Just get pieced all over the place. I mean, this, this could be a real thing, Duncan. I'm just letting you know, man. So this is great, man. I I actually. Uh, when, when this was presented, Gat uh, had messaged us. I believe Aaron was a part of the, the message chain, if you will. Uh, I, I felt like this is... I think this was a common sense move. Uh, yeah. Whatever difference we can make, like we talked before the show tonight, any type of charity moves that we can be a part of, I'm going to usually say yes, just because of the fact that I want to make any type of impact. I think this idea is incredible uh, because of the fact it's so inclusive. You know, it's a sports-related show. It's a sports-related movement, so it automatically gets people interested. But then when you feel like you're making a difference in your community and you're doing something that's charitable, literally, I, I think this is only a great thing. And I love the fact that you guys came up with this concept, and more importantly, you guys, and humbly, honestly, you guys wanted us to be a part of it as our show as well. So I really appreciate you wanting us to do this, man. I'm definitely looking forward to doing it. Absolutely. And uh, we need to definitely drop this information as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So we're going to try to do that as much as possible on our show as well. Um, so the, definitely, whatever we need to do in the time being, just let us know what we can we'll, do, man, and, we'll and help out. Yeah. I mean, we're trying to grow this the Kansas City Podcast Network. We're trying to, you know, this is a family. We're trying to make this into something special. And I think this could be a big step in that direction. Well, why we have you, uh, if it's okay. With you, we were talking about Fight Club, maybe a little less violent, but equally as physical. Um, we, we just had a Chiefs game this this last week against the Carolina Panthers. Is that what that was? That's what happened. That that was an actual football game. Now, just just why we, we got you here, man, we don't often get to do a crossover with other podcast shows on KCPN. In fact, I think this is the first time we've done this. Yeah. So this is history in the making right here, Duncan. Absolutely. So you better bring some takes, bro. You better bring some takes. We might have to just edit you out of this whole damn segment. <laughs> now, we're going to start with you because I want to get everybody's thoughts on this game, if it's all right with you, man. Um, what was your general takeaway of this game? It was a very close one. I mean, the score indicated that, but it also felt close. You know what I mean? Sometimes you see a score and it's like, man, that looked close. It wasn't close. This game was close. Yeah. I want to get your thoughts on it. Is there concerns? I mean, we're in the midway point of the season. What were your thoughts and takeaways of this game? Uh, I mean, a few of the things I was definitely concerned about is Harrison Bucker, man. Just, come on, dude. That We should not have been in that, in that situation at the end of that game. Extra point that, and a field goal. I'm sorry? Missed the extra point and a field goal. Yeah. 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 He's missed. He first, then that's only the second field goal he's missed all year, but that's, yeah. he leads the league. Four extra points, four or five four extra points? Four or five extra points yeah. now. They're 33 yard field goals, dude. You can it's hit ridiculous. 58 yarders up and down all day, but you can't hit 33 yarders. Yeah. And that's something I think that a lot of people, myself, have been saying is at some point, that's going to bite you in the ice. Yeah. And it came awfully close to coming to fruition this past Sunday. And that was, uh, I mean, there was no way in hell Joey Sly was going to make a 67-yard. Right, it was windy as shit, too. That that wicked wind that was going on. I mean, I saw him hit one of his kickoffs. that It not only went through the uprights, it went way up into the crowd, under the stands. (laughs) And so the the guy's got a leg. Oh, yeah. That's Bucker. You're going to cost us a game. And if it happens in the playoffs, this city is going to run his ass out of town. Yeah. 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 Now, my my thing is this. When it comes to that particular situation, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on this game as well, but just to, just to come right back to that, you know, I, I feel like there's almost like this un, the um, underestimating of the, the the actual value of a kicker, especially when you have a team that's prolific on offense like the Chiefs are. But what you just said is so much is is so true because if you look at like the greatest uh, dynasty in NFL history and sports history is the Patriots. Yeah. 
If you go back and look at how those championships were won, especially the first three, you will see the historic moment in all three of them were what? Game-winning field goals. So and, and and Vinatieri is the greatest kicker of all time because say, of what he did yeah, in those games. You're talking about the guy who's going to be the third Hall of Fame kicker in in Hall of Fame history, and it's because of moments like that. Yeah. So you can look at the totals and you can say, oh, he's all time scoring leader, all that. That's all fine, and people do recognize that. But Vinatieri will be forever known for what he did in those Super Bowls, and Tom Brady gets a lot of credit. But Harrison Budker has to understand the value that he's going to have in Mahomes' yes. legacy, at least in this there and now, here and now, I should say. I mean, he's got your, to that point. That is a, that's an excellent point. He's got an opportunity to build himself. I hesitate to say a Hall of Fame career, just because so few kickers make it. Yeah. But a Ring of Honor career, in right. Arrowhead. I mean, to be in in a city that has had and with a franchise that has had a number of great kickers. Yeah. You think Nick Lowry, Pete Stoyanovich. I mean. Uh, it's uh, uh, Jan Anderson, Stanley, the first Anderson, yeah. in the Hall yeah. of Fame. Yeah. And Harrison Bucker could put his name up right with some of those other guys right, in yeah. the Ring of Honor. I don't know if that's something that's necessarily important in legacy, but the guy ha- is arguably the most skilled, okay, second talented kicker in the league. I mean, nobody touches Justin Tucker. No, right. nobody does. And he sings opera, so that just tops it. No, yeah. I mean, when it's when it's a national, when it's a, a ESPN headline when he misses a field goal, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's kind of telling. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, this is, uh, this is Bucker opportunity to really establish himself as an all-time great in Kansas City. And it's it's just the little little things like that, man. It's just just needs some more focus from Now moving into the other aspects of this game, because there's there's three yes. there's three phases. I want to get your guys' thoughts on the defensive side of the ball. Now, we're gonna talk about later in the show about what we want to see the team improve on in the second half of the season. But in particularly with this game, you know, you had Christian McCaffrey coming back. We talked about that last week about how the Chiefs need to be prepared for what he's gonna do. Now he did get hit, hurt in this game, but something that did that did surprise me about the Chiefs was they were actually very good against the Panthers on third downs. The Panthers converted less than fifty percent of their third downs, which they're actually the best third down team in the league coming yeah. into that game. But the Panthers were three for three on fourth downs, and one of them was a fourth and fourteen, where Teddy Bridgewater in the fourth quarter runs for fifteen yards to convert that. Yeah, that was now fun. people can downplay that because of wins, a wins, a wins, a win, and all that stuff. But to the point of Harrison Butker and how he could cost a game. Those types of plays cannot happen ever, no matter who your opponent is. I don't care if you get the win. You cannot allow a quarterback to convert a 4th and 14 on his feet, let alone at all. So I'm going to start with you, Trev. Do you think this defense is just going to be what it is right now, or do you see a second-half resurrection kind of like they did against the Titans after the Titans game last season? Or is this what we're going to get? I, I mean, I think the bye week is definitely needed right now to get some shit straight. Uh, that was by far our worst defensive performance, I think, all year. Outside, I, mean, I know we had a couple gash plays in that Raiders game, but overall, as far as start to finish, um, that was a just overall just a C-grade maybe performance from our defense, maybe worse. Um I, I mean, Ben Neiman still sucks. I don't know why he's getting as many snaps. I mean, I'd rather take chances on Willie. Get Willie Gay out there as much as possible. Because if, if you go watch that play, that scramble on 4th and 14, it was Neiman's ass that just decided not to play linebacker or you know, or defense in, in general and, and hit a player that's running with the football on a 4th down. Right. You know, so that play alone, it was just overall, yeah, and, and, and honestly, Tyron Matthew probably had his worst game of the year. You know, there's a lot of bad timing. We adjusted at the half. We came out and we were stopping the run because we were getting gashed in the run in the first half. Um, but 
in the second half, I think we we, we we adjusted and we stopped the run fairly well. And then we started getting gashed. And then Curtis Samuel started burning us. Uh, we didn't get beat over the top too much, but we got we, we, we allowed way too much underneath and, and yak. Too much yak, too much yards after the catch. Um, there was a lot of open spots in the field. Traverius Ward did not look very good. Um, but I definitely think we have too much talent on this team. Because Frank Clark was banged up going into this game. He was maybe a eight, maybe 75 in this game, Chris Jones had a couple moments. Frank Clark had a couple good moments, but you can just tell he was he wasn't he wasn't right all the way. Um, bright sides, I thought Wharton looked good. Um, losing Taco sucks. Uh, I thought Taco was a, he was really coming into his own with his defense. I thought he was really becoming a, a major part actually of this defense. He's been good the last couple weeks, and then breaking his leg, man, that sucks. It sucks losing a guy like that that was very motivated to make his his mark here. Um, he'll be gone probably for a good few weeks, maybe a month plus. Um, but Wharton looked good. Durant looked good. Those guys are filling in pretty well. Uh, Naughty was doing his thing, you know, holding his gaps. Um, but overall, man, we really got to – I mean, I know we allow a lot of runs, run plays, a lot of run yardage that we tighten up towards the, 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 when they get closer to the red zone. And we've discussed that numerous times in the show. But um, I definitely think after the bye week, we should – I mean, Spags is too, too good of a mind, too good of a def- defensive mind not to – very, be, be, you know, whether he needs to take guys out and get take guy, you know, really adjust and get Ben, ben Neiman's ass out of the game. Because yeah. in my mind, he's just on the field way too much. Yeah, I, mean, I think Willie Gay needs, deserves more snaps when he's on the field. He makes plays. Ben Neiman makes plays in the wrong way. He hits the wrong kind of highlights. You know, he's getting recognized for the wrong purposes. Right. So. What's What's concerning me about this defense in particular is the fact that the Chiefs are right now in the bottom ten and getting to the quarterback pressure-wise. And that's that's saying something, especially when you look over the last three games. They're not look, I mean, the Panthers, they're, they're a talented team. So I'm going to give them respect. But the Jets and Broncos have, are two really bad teams right now. And to still have that type of, I would say, shadow over your defense right now is something that I don't think needs to be downplayed, a lot like to the point of what we talked about with Harrison Butker. I think the Chiefs have more issues than we're, we're really leading on right yeah. now because everything's so good. We're 8-1. Off a Super Bowl victory, our linebackers suck have, right now. Yeah, bro. the Chiefs. Yeah, the Chiefs have the best you know Straight player in the up. world. Probably going to win MVP again, and Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, things are clicking in certain regards. So it kind of you know takes the the bitterness out of it. But Eddie, I want to start with you real quick, man. Do you think that this is? You know, Spags is this adjustment guru. Everybody likes to give him that that respect, and I think that Spags is going to do his best, you know, job and for the rest of the season down the stretch into the playoffs. But do you think that this is sustainable for the Chiefs to have another Super Bowl victory? If let's say they may maintain this type of lack of pressure against quarterbacks, or are they going to really have to step this up? Because if we're being honest here. The secondary plays well, but it's also because of the fact that the Chiefs oftentimes can get pressure, and that makes them look better than what they sometimes are. Do you think it's sustainable? Do you think the Chiefs can legitimately win a Super Bowl with the lack of pass rush like they have right now? No. I just don't. Like you were talking about the Jets, they have Sam Darnold. He's a good quarterback. I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback, but... You're going up against a, like the worst team in the league, and you can put, you can't put pressure in there. You're struggling to put that pressure in there, and like uh, Trevor was talking this weekend about how this defense like to start slow and then make those adjustments, you know, into the second half, going into that second half, and, and, and they play great in the second half. Every game, every game so far this season, they play great second half. There's no way a Super Bowl team, a Super Bowl worthy team. Is, you know, not going to take advantage of that first half that the you know that the defense going to let them come on. You know, run the ball, throw the ball. You can do anything you want. 
that's what I have. Like, I have issues with this defense because what they can't tackle to save their lives for some fucking reason. Yeah. They just can't do it. We get there. We just can't. Yeah, exactly. We just like Jarvis said. Right ben Neiman is probably the worst player out there. He makes plays for the other I don't, team. I'm very confused why he's he out gets there. to the he gets to the runner and he gets to the player, but he just forgets how to tackle. He's like the Nick Kaiser of yeah, the like defense. He, you know, <laughs> he get, yeah, he, he's like Willie Gay's out there. Willie Gay, oh, Willie, the exactly. When we saw Willie Gay the most was on. Uh, I, I think. Uh, uh, the, was it the Jets game where he was like deflecting balls and you know he was making plays everywhere I, I don't know if it was the Jets game or the game before that where Willie Gay was actually getting snapped was actually that you know was put in that role and he was no. making those plays Right. I don't know what happened from there to now to where he's not no longer that player that you know, like I don't know if like Noel doesn't trust them. I don't, like I don't know that situation there. Right. So, but no, to your to your question, I don't think they can win a Super Bowl letting teams, you know, do whatever they want for a first half. I don't like, like Trevor said, I don't like when the defense starts off slow and then it picks up and adjusts. Yeah. And they like you can't have those games against Super Bowl worthy teams. I just. Well, I, granted, so I, I want to give credit to that Carolina offense, though. I mean, that is a loaded it's, offense. It's a good yeah. I'm not going to say, I'm like, oh, we should have shut them down because no one has. It's exactly. the, situ- no it's the situation. Seen, They've been to one, the situational all by one score. Yeah, been situational been defense, though, is a big thing is. no matter who you're playing. Yeah, they're you, better you, than the record is. I, I want to bring it back home. You cannot allow a fourth and 14. Yeah. And I mean, you can't allow that. you got to also put in perspective, too, because Christian McCaffrey just came back. It's a very motivated team. Yes. And I was going to say, Matt Rule seems like he's going to be one of the best players head coaches. Oh, yeah. I mean that yes. was a hell of a that was a hell of a steal for them with the weapons uh, he's got. Man. There was that was there was talk great originally. Britt Reed wanted him on yeah. on uh, Andy Reid's staff in Philadelphia, and Reed just didn't have the he didn't have the space on, yeah. his, on his roster or his uh, coaching staff. Yeah. But to that point as well, fourth and fourteen, you can't give that up to a quarterback who literally had argued, like almost had to have his his, his uh, knee or his leg to cap it. Sorry, amputated. Yeah. 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 It's that light beer kicking in, guys. It's a decapitated knee. He needs a beer. Small brought to you by Coors Light, friend of the show. But yeah, he's a guy who literally damn near severed his knee on on a practice play, and you let him go and run 14 yards, just untouched. And I'll give I'll give Bridgewater all the credit in the world, like diving forward and taking that hit. Yeah, taking that hit. Yeah, that showed that showed some moxie on a one year deal. On a one year deal, you're out there. Diving, bro. He's playing for his career. You know what I mean? He's playing, he's playing <laughs> for a contract. Still, it's still there's there's definitely a great deal of concern moving forward with that because I, I agree to that point. What the hell has been Neiman doing there? I wonder if they almost look at what we have with De- with Dean Sorensen and they're like Neiman can be that guy, yeah. that gritty undrafted guy on on the linebacking level. And but the thing is, you know, Sorensen makes he misses a lot of tackles, he misses assignments and coverage. That guy also comes up with splash plays. Like oh yes, clutch, very clutch. I mean, plays. to a point, yeah, he outweighs all the negatives. Oh, yeah. And so, and Neiman, on the other hand, I don't think I've ever seen him outside of a preseason game make an outstanding play. <laughs> and uh, that's not. An outstanding might be a loose term here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Against second, third stringer, right. guys who were playing in the XFL. Yeah. The, the guys are going to be paralegals in a few months. You yeah. know what I mean? My question to you is uh, why do you think Willie Gay's not getting the snaps that we, as Chiefs fans, would like to see? I think it's in large part because of, of the pandemic. I think a lot of these guys didn't get to go through the, the offseason training that they would have normally. And I think you're seeing a number of rookies across the league that are struggling, particularly in the secondary, yeah. which is one reason I'm super glad that Legereus Sneed is set to come back soon because I think he's going to be a major help. It's Lord Jerry Sneed. That is Lord Jerry. 
full on board with yeah, that. Yeah, yes. yeah. It's like Game of Thrones in the spirit, man. Lord Jerry C. Um, but I mean, he's been one of the few corners that have seemed to do well. And uh, but you see a lot of the other rookie linebackers that the Chiefs were maybe looking to draft. None of them have really been making the impact yet either. Yeah. Now to that point, I will say, put him out there. All right, let him, if he's he's not going to be worse than Ben Neiman. Thank you. After Thank the you. Bye. I think yeah, after the bye, we'll see a lot more Willie Gay. I would I agree. Just, with that. I think I he looks good ha- every time he's in. It has he looks to good. happen. He's just, it just has he's to just, happen. He's too he's too 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 talented. Yeah. He's got too much athleticism, too much speed, not to be out. And I think he's getting better at coverage because that was one of the knocks on him that he wasn't too good at coverage. He wasn't very good at coverage coming out of the draft. I think that's starting to change. I think he, in this in this system, I think Spags knows how to put his guys in the right spot because if he was on that play in that scramble at fourth and fourteen instead of Ben Neiman. He would have laid his ass out. He would not have gotten there. Because Billy Gay has that athleticism to get there and no, beat him there. Let's, let's, let's get on the other side of the we're, – man, we're going to special teams, defense, now offense. Yeah, God, I love it. The offense, I mean, obviously we, we could talk about it. It's been beautifully orchestrated on the passing Shit, game. They did, they did their job. Patrick Mahomes has been absolutely on fire. This is – I think there's, there is no question. Although 2018 was a blast and it was historic, it was one of the best seasons we've ever seen from a quarterback, I don't think there's any debate Patrick Mahomes is clearly a better quarterback today than he was two years ago. There's no debating. He's way more efficient. He knows defense is better. He's way more calm in the pocket. You're seeing it. Even with a shaky offensive line at best. Yeah, makeshift. But that's where I want to go. I mean, I I hope this show doesn't sound negative here. We really got a lot of things to pick apart on this team. Because when you're so high up, you got to, you know, everyone's coming for you. So you got to know your weaknesses as much as your strengths. The Chiefs offensive line, I, I know against the Bills when they rushed over 250 yards, everyone thought it was fixed. Man, it's been ever it's been anything but that since. And they're about to play some good defenses coming up. So I, I don't know what the Chiefs are gonna do. They really stood pat in the in free agency. They didn't trade for anybody, you know, during this trade deadline. They didn't attack anything. I I'm I don't know if Wisniewski is still available or not, and the Steelers cut him. But the fact that the Steelers just cut Wisniewski, who was with the Chiefs last season. Uh, Atlanta, who did Atlanta? Atlanta just cut somebody too, didn't they? Yes, I think he was picked up though. Okay. So Mac. Yes. Center? Yeah, he was. I think he was just picked up though. He was, he was a guy I was hoping that maybe we would try to make a trade. Absolutely. Yeah. And unlike most most beach seasons, as I like to call it, it's been very quiet. It's been very very quiet. I think the Chiefs are confident in what this offensive line is going to give them. Me personally, I'm not. And I think it's because of the fact, as I've been talking about on this show for, for the longest time since Patrick Mahomes got his contract, you have to look at him as not just a great player, but a long-term investment. And you have to protect him at all costs. And I literally mean all costs, as in you trade whatever it takes to make sure you know he's going to be upright all season long. Chiefs didn't do that. Duncan, does that concern you moving forward? Oh, absolutely. This is something, going into the draft, mentioning our, our draft uh, game that we did last year, what, at the at 32, I wanted the Chiefs to go offensive tackle. Yep. Or, or even just... In, even an interior offensive line. There was talking maybe Cesar Ruiz from Michigan slipping down until oh, yeah. Bullets picked him up. I mean, and that guy's been a stud yeah. on, on the state's offensive line. Would love to see that guy on our interior right now. And I completely agree with that wholeheartedly that he is the investment in Kansas City. And when it comes to when it comes to sports, and you have to protect him. That, no matter what, because that guy, if he's got if he's got time in the pocket, he will create superstars. You look at what Aaron Rodgers did. You look at what Brett Favre did. All, so many great quarterbacks create stars. And Patrick Mahomes, we have an abundance of talent at our skill position players now, but we didn't need to draft Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I love him, and I look forward to a future with him. But that was that was something that wasn't a need. That was a luxury pick when. 
we're starting to see Eric Fisher slipping. We've seen Mitchell Schwartz slipping. Maybe it's injury, injury cause. I don't know. But uh, and then obviously the interior offensive line just absolute garbage. I mean, I like Allegretti getting time in there, and I think Allegretti could be a starter moving forward. I think L- I don't see LDT coming back, uh, and even if he does, that cut at this point. I mean, uh, that's that saves you some cap space. And so I hate to say that I love. Love the doctor, but uh, it's probably about that time, and he's doing better work. Yeah. So, um, I, it's, I, it, it concerns me a lot. It really sucks that Lucas Lucas Niang opted out. I don't blame him whatsoever. But that's at this point for this season, you wasted a third round. Pick. Yeah. And that's a third round pick that could be that could be a guy who's making the difference on the offensive line. Yeah. So that's that absolutely sucks. And it, again, I want to reemphasize the fact that. The, the, Patrick Mahomes has been getting hit. Uh-huh. I mean, it's not like he's been out there, you know, with a with a with a clean yeah. pair of pants and, and jersey blown and to talking to the reporters afterwards. Yeah, I mean, he's had to run a lot, and I know he loves to create. So naturally, he probably feels comfortable in those scenarios. But the thought, I mean, so if you go back and watch the all twenty twos of this last game. You know, they're talking about the arm angles and the way he's throwing and the way he's delivering the ball, and it looks so cr- pretty. What I kept looking at was he's on the floor. Like, he, every single time he's got one of those plays, he's getting shoved. He's getting laid on. I mean, this is stuff that you cannot risk. I know it's football, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend like he's never going to get touched. I mean, Drew Brees, one of the best offensive lines in football. You, you mentioned that. He gets hit. Philip Rivers, we watched the game last night. Colts have maybe the best offensive line in football. He got touched a couple times. Having said that, though, it's 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 becoming a trend now where you're seeing Patrick Mahomes, and maybe it's to his fault too, where he is taking too many steps back and he's creating more problems for his tackles where they can't keep up with that outside pass rush. Nevertheless, it's something that I think that the Chiefs should have taken a lot more seriously, and I really hope it's one of those things where we can just close our eyes and just wish for the best because that's all we can really do at this point because it's not like they're all of a sudden just going to get better, in my opinion. You, you might face front sevens like the Bills again where you can just run all over them, and that's all good and good and fine, but when you get into the playoffs, and you face a potential team like the Steelers or the Ravens again, where they have those front sevens that can can get pressure on your quarterback, that's a different dynamic, and that's what the Chiefs have to be looking for. Because we're playing the long game here. you got to literally play the long game here and plan for the long game. Now, moving Trevor a little bit to something else, though, I want to talk about is the run game. Yep. It has been damn near ineffective, at, 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 and that's putting it mildly over the last two weeks. 45 rushes for 162 yards. Yep. That's not going to get the job done in the long game. But do you believe it's because of the offensive line like we just mentioned more, or is it because of the fact that Le'Veon Bell is still learning the offense and Clyde did not have an offseason? He's still gradually working his way up. Or is it, could it be both? I think, I, th- I mean, the Chiefs' offense is top, top three in as, as far as throws per game and throws in the red zone. We don't, we're not a run-heavy team. We don't have, what, two weeks where we've ran more than 20 times. Right. So, I mean, it's not... I expected more running than, I think Clyde had like six attempts, six or seven attempts, and Lev had like two or three. I, I do believe that the key cog to why we got away from the run was because of the O-line, because I, I don't think there was going to be any opportunity. And the, the, the worst part about that fact of the matter is that Carolina team is a run-funnel defense, similar to ours. Their defense is set up similar. They play a soft zone. They don't let you beat them over the top. They let you run on them. They let you play underneath. They play, let you eat in the slot, and they let you run. But we didn't. We didn't. It seemed like we got away with it after the halfway through the first quarter. It seems like we just got away with it. Got away from it. Um, I don't think. I don't think that was a good idea. I still think we should have really tried to, to to pound the ball. I think the score would have been a little different because it wouldn't have given them that many opportunities to score on us. 
we could have managed the clock a little better, but knowing Andy Reid, that's not his strong suit. So we, we tend to we tend to get antsy and want to score points like that. And it, I see I I think that kind of rubs onto Mahomes too, and you see him get a little antsy. But I mean at the same time, antsiness and impatience comes with a battle offensive line because you feel like you need to rush a little bit or you need to overcompensate. You get a little nervous. I do think we need a pound. I think we. I was surprised we got away that early, to be honest. When I came into the game, I think they're 31st overall against the run in the league. So there's no reason for us with the talent we have at running back to go and at least dink and dunk, you know, play a little screen game with the running backs. We didn't really do much of that at all because that's what they were doing to us. I mean, McCaffrey was eating at our lunch all day. Um, I, I thought we would do a little bit more of that, but we didn't do enough of that. We didn't get the running backs involved. We didn't play complimentary football like, really at all. And I think that's that will make Mahomes a lot more comfortable throwing downfield when we could do that. But we didn't really establish the run yeah. at all. But I mean, looking at the track record of Andy Reid, as much as I love him, that's that's his track record. He gets he gets pass happy. He gets away from the run. I mean, it works when you got Mahomes. It works most of the time. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, it works regardless. But it, it is important to establish the run, especially for a rookie. You're still trying to get his confidence and his feet underneath him as the season progresses. But hey, I. It was it was frustrating as a, as a football fan to not see good complimentary football. Right, and, and and the last point I want to get to you, Eddie. Um, and if you guys have any thoughts on this, I, I know that we probably all have opinions on this because it has to do with the guy that really put all this together, and that's Andy Reid. Yeah. Um, I've been somebody who's been very critical of Andy Reid in a lot of ways, but I've always loved the fact he's the Chiefs coach. He's by, I think he's by far the greatest head coach in Chiefs history. He's only going to continue to prolong that. I think he's going to win several Super Bowls here in Kansas City. Most, most of the young and up-and-coming uh, coaches in this league are expired. Absolutely. The Andy, the Andy Treed's ridiculous in yeah. the league. Whether Matt Nagy pans out in Chicago or not, the fact is you have what, seven head reins. coaches right now that have worked for Andy Reid. Yeah, I think I think he just gave up his play-calling duties. Though. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Sure. But there is something I want to be a little little bit and I believe fairly critical on with Andy Reid and it's been shown several times even in this season his clock management is still so bad yeah it's still so bad to the point where I don't understand why the Chiefs aren't literally thinking about hiring somebody that can literally just watch the clock I know that sounds like a casual fan take but it, it, it really is something I would entertain because you see Sean McVay in LA he literally has a guy that he hired just to keep him on the sidelines away from the ref so you don't get flagged. Why can't the Chiefs say, you know what? Andy, you suck at watching the clock, my dude. You're terrible at utilizing timeouts in proper ways and terms and context. Can you please just hire somebody to show you? Hey, Andy, you got minute 13. You got two timeouts. The clock's running. Take a timeout. You're on the 45-yard line. I think what's happened, and this is just my theory here, I think Andy Reid has fallen in love with the Mahomes magic so much that he doesn't think the clock matters. But the problem is, is that we live in reality that even Patrick Mahomes sometimes is going to need some help in the two-minute offense. Yeah. Duncan, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to get all three of your guys' thoughts on this, and I'll go around the table. Do you think, and I know we're, we're talking about the will that cost the Chiefs. I don't think it's going to cost the Chiefs, but do you think that Andy Reid is in a place where he doesn't really think it's going to matter? Or do you think this is just something that would essentially be his Achilles heel? It's funny you say that because that's literally one of the things that I, I talked about on our podcast that uh, we did earlier this week. And that's something that was the knock on him in Philadelphia, and that was the knock on him before the, the Chiefs PM, Prima Holmes. And uh, it's it's something that when, when you have the ultimate salve that is Patrick Mahomes, he can cover up so many inefficiencies on the team. He can cover up so many mistakes, 
and just help you to overcome that. But we shouldn't be asking him to have to do that all the time. We should be helping him. We should be maximizing his ability to go and win games. And we, to that point, we have seen it's a lot better than it was two years ago. We're not asking him to win every game every single week like we were two years ago when we had one of the worst defenses in the league. Uh, and it's been a lot better. We've seen him not have to go out and be super good. But Andy Reid is definitely one of those factors that does limit what Patrick can do. And, yeah, I think he is. I, mean, I think he – I would say – it's something new, but again, it's been something he's done forever. His clock management issues are, I think they've evolved, they've changed, maybe not evolved is the right word, but they've definitely changed, because <laughs> it was just poor clock management before, now it's, ah, it doesn't matter how much time it is, you know, Patrick will save the day. Or when to take a timeout. But, yeah, oh yeah. my gosh, there was, I think the Charger game was that way, <laughs> way too. Way too like, early or way too late. late. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you you called the timeout and then you left them a minute, a minute 40 against yeah. Carolina. Right. And I, I just, I was, that's why I was literally sitting there just like, we're going to, we're going to lose to Carolina. Right. I mean, yeah. thank goodness the defense decided to step up in that moment. For one drive, yeah. But, oh my gosh, that was, that is not how you wanted to go into bye week. And at some point, I don't know if it is ever going to bite us in the ass because again, Patrick Mahomes is the, the greatest salad that the league has ever seen when it comes to covering it, covering up uh, botches. But, it's it's still concerning, and yeah, we are nitpicking ultimately. We are eight and one, and we I think we are the best team in the league right now. Uh, people can say Pittsburgh, but I think with the, the offensive line issues, they've got theirs as well. Yeah, we saw them almost lose to Dallas. Yeah, and uh, and we saw how bad they are without Ben Roethlisberger. They were losing to yeah. Dallas for three quarters of that yeah. game. Yeah. yeah, and it's just a matter of time before yeah. that offensive line gets Roethlisberger hit. And that's something where a lot of people have asked me about already here about up. offensive line issues with the, the Chiefs have or the Steelers have. And I said, one is a 38-year-old brittle quarterback who has been beaten up throughout his career. It's essentially a statue at this point. The other is extremely mobile. And Mahomes does take hits, but he seems to be able to avoid taking the big hit. Right. And so, but anyway, I'm, I'm sidetracking a little bit there. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely Andy Reid's clock management issues. They don't always flare up. But, man, when they do, it is... It leaves. It's. It, I, I have to. Use you got to get some ointment. Yeah. I have, I have to get a lot of tums or pesto <laughs> in games after Andy decides to have his have his clock management issues. Right. And it, it always seems like it's the close games where his uh, management issues come into right. like into play. You never really see him when we're winning, like you know, by two scores or yeah. whatever. It's always those where we're one point ahead, two point ahead, to where they they can score a field goal and win. It's always those critical games where his. Time management just is like, oh, here, by the way, I don't know how to control this at all. So, yeah. A future Hall of Fame coach, but I forgot. What but I forgot. <laughs> it's like, there's a clock. What's a clock? Yeah. It's like, so it, it's just frustrating as a Chiefs fan. But like you said, we're nit, nitpicking now as to what we see wrong with this offense. You know, we're, we're just literally, okay, I see that. We're taking that. We're taking, yeah. But, uh, but to, to, to what Lance was saying earlier, like we have to nitpick because if you don't nitpick, if you don't try to continue to strive for perfection, that's when you lose that's games you should, especially in junior. Yeah. So I mean, that's yeah, – I mean, Reed's very a very humble guy. I think we all know that he's always quick to take the responsibility for his actions, for the team's actions in general. He always takes the place. You know, he's always a martyr. Um, this is definitely something he's going to have to me. I know he's very far into his career already, so it might just be you know something he might get better at. He might just he might just have to 
buckle up and, you know, take it. The, the good thing about this team and being an Andy Reid offense and Patrick Holmes at the helm, you don't have to worry about too many close games necessarily. I mean, I know this was a, a situation where it was close, and obviously it showed its ass with the time management. But most of the time, we're, we're, we're at a lead. We don't... Back at it again on the Spoken Podcast for segment number three. I am your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the Johnny's Tavern Studios of 119th Street. Uh, with my guys, Trevor Twidwell. That's good. Eddie Ortiz. Yo, yo, yo. And we have ourselves our frequent flyer now, our uh, our, our local uh, brainiac, if you will, when it comes to the world of sports. Our guy, Luke, is back for a second straight week. How are we doing tonight, Luke? What's good? What's good? Good to see you, man. Good to see you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we got the Eddie Hour, so that means that Luke's going to participate with us, get his thoughts on what uh, Eddie actually has a uh, Question wise for us tonight. So, nevertheless, no more, uh, no more me. Rather, Eddie, take over, brother. What do you got? All right, man. I got a few questions for you guys. Uh, so, earlier this week, we saw reports coming out of Houston saying that one uh, Russell Westbrook was uh, wanting a trade or wanting out of Houston. So, my question to you guys is: uh, Can I get a potential landing spots or uh, spots that you would like to see Russell Westbrook go to? Well, potential spots are where I'd like to. See it might be two different things. Uh, I think that realistically, Russell's going to end up on a team that's not as good as a, you know, not a contender. Right. Um, that's going to you know help you know bring an audience to them. Now that depends on if they're going to allow people in stadiums, which I can't imagine they will. But I think the team like the Knicks are going to be the type of team that are going to desperately try to you know trade for Russell Westbrook and try to you know spend young players on him because of the fact that they need viewership. The Knicks are struggling right now. They haven't had it. They haven't even had an All Star player since 2013 or 2014. It would be perfect. There. He'd be perfect. Flashy, yeah. So I, I think that that's that's going to probably be the location. But where I'd like to see him go, I mean, it, there, there's a few places. But honestly, I would love to see him. Uh, it's it's hard to say. I know I know it sounds like a pipe dream, but I'd love to see him in, uh, with the Clippers. And the reason why is this: because it would be the perfect scenario for the Clippers to choke once again. Because he is the type of player that would bring that franchise once down. Because also there has that, been rumblings about the Clippers. There has been, and I think that's going to be a desperation heave as well. But that means that they would also probably have to trade Paul George, which isn't probably the worst thing for the Clippers to do. Having said that, you're bringing in another guy who is a complete debacle historically in the playoffs. For me, I think it would be beautiful to see. I would love that. That would be my ideal, but I think more than likely it's going to be the Knicks. The biggest rumbling that's been going on right now with Russell Westbrook is... The Charlotte Hornets. Yes, they've been the one. That's that, for shoes, they've been though. the one that said that that's been that's been already uh, agreed upon that they're the most aggressive yeah. as far as the sweepstakes of Russell uh, Russell Westbrook. Um, I think I don't know, man. I don't think he's a very hot commodity anymore. With, with his past couple, with the way he with the way it ended in OKC, with, 32. with how it's gone in Houston, he says. I think everyone, GMs and a lot of players alike, are kind of. Because we even saw it towards the end with 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 him and Harden, like they're they're kind of they started kind of beefing a little bit. There's, he's he's kind of that guy. He gets very hot headed and he wants to prove himself when he gets hot headed. If he's having a very inefficient night, he wants to shoot his way out of it, and he's not a shooter. So that's a he's a good he's a good point guard. He can facilitate. He can drive in, in he can drive in and, and, and pass the ball. He's very aggressive. Obviously, he's a freak athlete. He can be used in a lot of places. Um, I don't know if, if, if Philly ends up um, packaging maybe uh, uh, Ben Simmons somewhere. He could, he could fill in that Ben Simmons facilitation role, and he could go get a bucket way better than Ben Simmons ever could. He can actually hit threes when he wants to at times when he's not completely <laughs> off. 
I don't know. I don't know if there's a lot of teams that really want him. Like I, like you said, I think it's going to be the teams that are not good, either yeah. bad teams or middling teams that yeah. are trying. They're going you know, nowhere. I don't, and yeah, and they and, or they need an alpha. Yeah. There's a lot of teams out there that do need an alpha guy. He's definitely that, but he's not a winner. He's just not. He gets his numbers. He gets to the playoffs. You know, eight to eight between the eighth and the fifth seed every once in a while. And he and he just he, he's not a good playoff player. He's just not. He's a fun regular season player to watch. And I just don't. Honestly, if there's not a team I want would like to see him go. I just don't. I think the Knicks would be. I think the Knicks would be fun, and I think they'll be the best suit for him because I, I would like him in that market because he's a loud guy. He's a, he's a very outspoken guy. He's gritty. He's nasty. And I think the Knicks need that kind of player because they have some young talent, and he would go over there and immediately be the alpha of that team. Right. Uh, alpha basketball. He's a fashion forward guy too. So you know, it is uh, you know downtime outside of basketball. He'd really be able to find a lot of you know career opportunities in the uh, club. For sure. He's marketable. As he has so much into. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You touched on Charlotte because they got uh, they got the most as, as far as of, uh, trades, assets, draft picks, etc. They can give up. Uh, if Houston were to trade him to a uh, to Charlotte, they're going to get uh, a bunch of return. They're going to probably get Terry Rozier. Right. They're going to probably get Malik Monk. They'll probably get a draft pick out of there. Yeah, give me that all day. <laughs> the thing about him going to, to, to Buzz City, though, he'll stunt the growth of Devontae Graham. Right. Uh, so been... you're, you're really ruining the chance for Devontae Graham to be the point guard of that team. Um, what I think will happen, I'm going to see a three-team trade here. I like Paul George to Houston. I think Westbrook goes back to Oklahoma City. I think Chris Paul goes back to L.A. Oh, wow. I like it. Ooh. You know, in L.A., you're talking about the Clippers. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That, that could definitely happen. That would be a really – now, see, that would make things really interesting because the season's a month away. So that, that would be that be one of those moves where and, and the they would all fit seamlessly, where you wouldn't have to worry about whether it's going to work or not, because they all go back well, yeah, and forth. Paul working with uh, Kawhi Leonard instead of uh, uh, helping out the uh, Blake Griffin. Bla- Blake yeah, Griffin. yeah. yeah. Any, they would be more suitable. No, no Doctor Rivers in there. Exactly. Right. right. Yep. That's a man. I like that. I like that. I like that. Luke. Either way, he's gone. I mean, yeah. it's, it's pretty evident that he's he won't going be in somewhere. Houston. He will not be in Houston. Yeah, I think honestly, I think it's going to be Charlotte. I think Charlotte's going to really try. Well, to, and that makes a lot of sense too. Make, from Michael Jordan's side case. of things. Well, I think they're going to make an offer he can't refuse. He, but he also he he works for Air Jordan. Yeah, well, I know. And it, he needs recently, to sell shoes. Said, yeah, they would get the most for Houston yeah, too. But he, the, the Devontae Graham point's a great point because Devontae Graham is becoming a legitimate star. Yeah, one of the best three points. You don't want to see him stunt that growth at 23, 24 years old. Yep. I was thinking with the NBA on this question. So OKC and the Suns held conversations about a possible trade involving Chris Paul, who we were just talking about. Yeah. So I want to hear your thoughts on that. You know, that, that initially sounded like a good move just from the naked eye because of Devin Booker and Chris Paul and him being able to distribute to Devin Booker, taking a little pressure off of Devin Booker. I think, though, at the same time, it's, it ended up being one of those fluff pieces, if you will, where it's an agent basically saying something to kind of create a market for the player. I think that's because Chris Paul is at the twilight of his career. Yeah. He's still very good. Had one of his best seasons of his yeah. career last year. He's, he played all 82 games last year, I think, for the first time of his career. Yeah. That's probably not going to happen again, especially with you know the fact that you know it's going to be a shortened off season, if you will. I, I think that that was just basically them just trying to see like what's out there for Chris Paul. Because I don't think there's any realistic possibility the Suns are going to trade or the Thunder are going to trade over to the Suns like that yeah. that close in conference like that I just I don't see how that's going to help the Thunder unless you're getting dramatic assets back and I don't see the Suns going to be willing to give that up when they're trying to build a young nucleus there yeah, I think but I think the Thunder also are kind of seeding the fact that they're kind of rebuilding Clearly. so getting rid of Chris Paul trading him away is not going to be a surprise to anybody and the one, thing I, the Suns. The one thing I will say about Chris Paul is that, you know, wherever he goes he automatically makes that team better because he's one of the few rare breed old school point guards left in this league yes. that actually commits to playing perimeter defense. Yes. I mean, I'm talking lockdown. Still to this day, he still plays lockdown perimeter and he commits to it. Yep. Most point guards are pretty dominant. 
nowadays. They just want to score and get their, you know, and get their assists. And you know, most of them are scoring point guards nowadays. We see a lot of wing players facilitating nowadays, yeah. which I love on basketball. But Chris Paul, man, like I, I, there's a lot of places he can go and make automatically make them better. You know, I mean, um, obviously, I'd love to see him go to the Lakers. I think that'd be a great addition, especially if Rondo, you know, leaves and goes maybe to the Clippers. I've been hearing Rondo going to the Clippers and other teams too. If Rondo's gone, that'd be, I mean, obviously you're trading, you're getting better at that position because obviously he's one up on that. That would also make Andrew Bradley expandable as well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's look, a good point. I could see I could see him going numerous places, man, and, and, uh, and the Suns would be a good spot because I, I, Phoenix made some noise in the bubble. Say what you want. I mean, you can call them the, the Cinderella story of the bubble, which they were. They went undefeated and made their case for being a playoff team and making that push. And Devin Booker is absolutely one of the best young scorers in this league. Um, that would be a great spot for him, I think, to not only – Make a run in the playoffs with, and, and be a surprise team, and mold you know the minds of those young players over there because they have a lot of young talent. But I mean, as far as Chris, the sweepstakes for Chris Paul goes, I mean, I like I said, I think he could go anywhere and make them better. But I would love to see him in LA for sure. All right. Uh, now moving into MLB. So yesterday, MLB uh, finally released the uh, MVPs for each uh, each league. Uh, for AL, for the American League, we have Jose Abreu. And for the National League, we have Freddie Freeman. I want to get your reactions to this, and if you agree to that. But also, I want to throw Mookie Betts' name in there and why he wasn't looked as uh, pretty much the NL MVP because he singly handily gave the Dodgers that championship, if you want to really be honest. Yeah, that's true, but I mean, I didn't see her. I think when it, he won the World Series MVP, too. Yeah, so yeah. Mookie, Mookie was insanely valuable, and he obviously got the Dodgers over the hump. But Freddie Freeman was the best player in the NL this year, in my opinion. Uh, the Braves had a lot of expectations. Freddie Freeman was one of the few like legit veterans on this team. That Braves team is very young, and they're they're coming up, and I, I think that team's going to win a World Series in the very near future. I love that team, and I, I was very big on them this year, too. I had them in the World Series, one game off. But, yeah, Freddie Freeman, to me, I, I think that was a no-brainer. I, I really think that he deserved it, even though I am a big Mookie guy. I think Mookie could have had his case. But if you go and look at the numbers, you go and look at the way that Freddie Freeman, his uh, wins above replacements, things of that nature, he, he, he was just – it's not even really debatable in my opinion. Uh, Jose Abreu, the AL was a little bit more open this year, um, but I think that – Honestly, although the MLB doesn't get a lot of things right, I think these were the right guys. Maybe you could make the case for other guys in the AL, but I, I feel like Jose Abreu really made his case all year long. And I think that he's the guy that you're going to – If you, for me, it was like this. When I see both those names go down as the MVPs, I kind of shrug my shoulders and say – there's really not a case against them in, in that regard. I feel like they both made their cases as to why they were clear-cut deserving MVPs. So I'm not going to fight it. I'm just going to say that I think those both guys were clearly deserving of it, and I think that they got it right. Yeah, I think Abreu was definitely well-deserved. I think, like you said, the AL is more of a spread out. Not, a, not as many stacked rosters in the AL as there is in the NL. Um, as far as Mookie Betts go, obviously I'm a Mookie Betts guy. I love the dude. I love he, he's great at everything that he does. He's, he's an overall great chess piece player. He can, he can do almost everything. Um, but I mean, as far as yeah, I mean, as far as him not winning it, I, I, I just think he was the cherry on the top of that already stacked roster. It was already a World Series team before he got there, right? So he was just kind of like that Kevin Durant piece coming in there and just kind of just finish the the wipe. You know, it's pretty good analogy. Yeah, I mean, I was just saying he was just, that team was already loaded. You know, bullpen and every uh, skill position player. So I mean. I'm, I'm fine with the way it came down. I, I mean, there's so much talent in this league now, and you know, they, anybody can. Mookie can, will probably make, win it next yeah, year. You can make a case for a lot of those guys, but the fact that Mookie was the ultimate chess piece on an already loaded roster, yeah, 
it's kind of hard to give him. And, and he wasn't. I don't think he was the best player overall in the World Series. So I mean, the, the fact that I think Luki would have got it if they had played the traditional 162 games for season. sure. Like it was a very you know very short sample size. Yeah. Now Abreu, I agree with uh, you know what do you well said about, you know the the AL not being really stacked this year. I think 162, he's still going to win it anyway. No disrespect to Freddie Freeman. No, yeah, I'm yeah, Freddie Freeman yeah. guy as well. But Mookie really didn't have. He was a new addition to uh, you know probably a new team, a new league as well. And he, I think over one, he'll he'll, he'll, get, he'll be a 162 MVP soon enough. Yes, For absolutely, 100 sure. percent agree. All right. And, you know, talk about Major League Baseball, uh, World Series. Uh, you guys do realize that the Astros are one game away from making the World Series again. Oh, you don't yeah. got to remind me. Uh, Another we, loaded team. I mean. uh, do we all of a sudden forget about that, that whole cheating scandal? Like... No, I don't think it's forgotten. I think it's just contextualized different now. Because the question was coming into the season, can the Astros win without cheating? They proved that. They proved that although it, it's, 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 shame, it's shameful, yeah. it's a damnable situation, and I think that they, they got away with it because no players were suspended for that. I think that's just absolutely ridiculous. The MLB, we talk about the MLB getting it right in certain regards. They got it. They couldn't have got it more wrong by not getting these players suspended for what they did. I mean, you get a guy hits PETs, he hits 60 games automatically. You know, I think it's a second offense. I mean, but I regardless, it's, 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 it's a shame when you got to point out that you got something right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, just, it's just crazy. I mean, but again, we, we, we come back to the argument of Rob Manfred yeah. identifying the ultimate achievement of winning a World Series as a piece of metal. Yeah. So that should tell you like kind of how these things go. Now, the Astros, back to the Astros, though. Yes, I think that this is different. I think that you can't forget what happened because that's always going to be a black mark on them and in baseball in, in its entirety. But the fact is that they were that close to a World Series after all that, with all that pressure, I think that they have to get a little credit for that. Having said that, to our guy Luke's point about not being a full 162-game season and the fact you have zero fans of the majority of this season, there was really not as much pressure on the Astros. You're not getting these fans booing you and you know, 20, 30, 40,000 people in stands Expanded that hate you. Well, remember, they went 29 to 31. They finished 200 to 500. Right. Yeah. Exactly. They got hot at the very end of the season. Right. That was, It was pretty much made for a team like the it's Astros to take still, over. Yeah. So they could have very well gotten there, and it would have been just as legit. Yeah. But because of the fact that everything that happened before, it kind of takes away from it, even though it really shouldn't in all actuality, because this team did earn them getting to where they got at the end of the season. You have to give them that. But, yeah, you can't forget what took place. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of those players shouldn't have been able to play this year. Um, with it being a short season, I think it would have just been – it would have made a lot of sense for them to disqualify a good handful of those guys that were, you know, the big parts of that controversy. But the fact that it wasn't that big of a deal as far as overall the optics of the, the average fan, it's America, man. The news I – mean, the news feed and everything is, you know, it's constant news, whether it's the politics, whether it's coronavirus, whether it's all kinds of stuff, you know, that's going on constantly in the news with, with, with sports. Stuff like that gets brushed on the rug eventually over time, right? Outside of the avid fan that, like, absolutely fucking hates them. I mean, it's, it's gonna, that stuff's gonna get brushed over over time. Eventually, that's gonna go into lore as, as something that was shitty and should never happen. But I do think if they would have disqualified some of those players, I think I think it would have been more of a story. Than I really wish they would have, just because you saw so many minor league players not only get a play, but not even get paid for that matter. Oh, yeah, now, I mean, you know, it had props to uh, Dayton Moore for uh, you know taking care of his uh, his employees, if you will. I mean, making sure the minor leagues got paid. But it, it would have been a chance for uh, the Houston minor leagues to actually you know get some uh, game experience this year when a lot of minor leagues wouldn't have been to. Right, mm-hmm. that's a good point. Yeah. All right, now switching. Uh, my last two questions are: uh, we're switching to the NFL. 
from football. Are you guys ready to give up on Russell Wilson for MVP this season? No, I'm not ready to give up on him. I just don't think he's in the lead anymore. I think that Russell Wilson can redeem himself down the stretch. The problem for Russ, though, is 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 it really isn't even in his hands as far as what Patrick Mahomes is doing. Patrick Mahomes is, yeah, he has fewer touchdowns than Russell, but I think three passing. But Russell Wilson has eight more turnovers this season than Patrick Mahomes. That that does pay dividends. And I think that the, the, the optics of how, the, I mean, first five, six weeks of the season, it was a no-brainer. Russell Wilson's going to run away with this MVP. But see, that is why it's a league, it's a season-long MVP uh, uh, award. It isn't something that's given in the first month. Because if we did that, Russell Wilson would have ran away with it. But see, as it progressed, you started to see it catch up. Patrick Mahomes started to catch up with Russell Wilson. So no, he could still very well win this award. It's not like it's out of the realm of possibility. He's still having an all-time great season in all actuality. But has it closed? Has Patrick Mahomes closed the gap and taken the lead? Yes, without question. I'm really interested to see how this is going to go because I think Patrick Mahomes, I don't think he's going to slow down at all. So unless they give it to Russell Wilson at that point at the end of the season, let's say things stay just like it is right now, they would essentially be giving it to Russell Wilson because it's a career achievement award at this point because he had never to at this point of, this, of his career have his, even an MVP vote. So it would be more of a career. This reminds me a lot of the whole Drew Brees, Patrick Holmes of 2018. Was Drew Brees deserving of an MVP uh, candidacy? Absolutely. But at the end of the season, was he the MVP? No. Patrick Mahomes was. I see that being a very similar route of how this is going to go this well, I mean, year. Tom Brady is the MVP, right? That's, a, that's what we all agree on. Maybe According that, to PFF, that three yes. three-point performance last week, right? I mean, um, no, I mean, Russell is obviously in, in a, as a close second right now. Obviously, he's having a great – it reminds me a lot of the 2017 Patrick Mahomes. He was playing for his life. You know, he's playing because his defense is just absolutely – Giving it all up, everything. That's my. They that, that might go down as the worst defense of all time. They're on pace right now. So I mean, having to play with that and having to overcome that, he's had to put up incredible numbers already. But granted, a lot of that comes with turnovers because it literally is all on him. They've lost all the running backs have been banged up. They're literally they're that's last week. These last two weeks they played both their practice squad running backs. So I mean, for what he's done and what he and as many wins as they have, yeah, he's had the turnovers, but he's definitely right up there with Pat. I think definitely, I definitely think Pat is the MVP, but. For what Russ has done and had to handle and deal with this year, you, you gotta give him. You gotta give him his props. He, and he's for me, he's neck and neck. He's a close second right now. But the it's, it's, it's touchdown bad. record is still within reach for Russell Wilson. For well. sure. Oh yeah. It's 54, 55 yards too, man. The guy's got yards. He's gonna get the votes. I think yeah. we all agree on that. Yeah, there's no uh, question. There's not gonna be unanimous MVP this year. Every I mean, every 50 touchdown guy in NFL history is one MVP. The fact that he's never so, had a vote is actually outrageous. Right. Tom Brady in 07 got 50 touchdowns, one MVP. Right. Uh, Peyton Manning 2013 55 touchdowns, one MVP. Patrick Mahomes. 50 touchdowns, 2018, one MVP. If Russell Wilson ends up getting to 50, it's going to be really hard no, for him not to. Super Bowl that, year, that is crazy. Yeah. Was the, uh, famed, uh, and who was the last MVP to even win a Super Bowl? I don't know. Has that ever happened? It's been 20 years. I it's been, it's, yeah, year. it's been a long time. I was going to say, Lamar Jackson won the last year. It's been, it's been, been 20 years. There you go. Okay. I, think, I definitely think Aaron Rodgers needs to be thrown in there, too. Uh, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers has been correct. having a great year. There you go. Yep. Is that 99, 2000? I believe so. Yeah. 20 years, damn. Yeah. But I'm just going to say, Aaron Rodgers, I think, definitely needs to be this, this discussion, too. He's a discussion, He's yeah. had multiple touchdowns every single week. The problem week. for Aaron Rodgers is that the Packers have gotten blown out embarrassingly, embarrassingly against the Buccaneers. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean. That was a bad, getting blown out one Allen thing. absolutely had his way. Aaron Rodgers put, like, Seahawks. shit in that game. He doesn't play defense. But I'm yeah. just saying, like, yeah, Aaron, Josh Allen absolutely had his way with Seahawks. Shout out to Aaron week. Donald, too. He's not going to get an MVP, but they got uh, no. player in the league. If they need a defense MVP, they need to make an award just for that guy. No doubt. Without question. All right, last question. Lance, you mentioned the PS. 
PFF. I want to get your thoughts on the QB rankings that the PFF did earlier this week, which saw Patrick Mahomes, I believe, come fourth and Tom Brady third because of turnover-worthy plays. I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, I'm going to make this one quick. Yeah, PFF has really outdone themselves in, in, in be, becoming becoming almost a, a satirical website. Um, I love like Babylon Bee. I'm a big fan of theirs. Uh, there's a lot of like the Onion. PFF is starting to become those guys because if you're looking it's almost like they're creating stats at this point I don't mean any disrespect because I know there are a lot of people out there that are working hard uh, there's there's people out there that are trying their best to to make this more of a statistical analytical game and I get that and I respect it because I'm a numbers guy myself but when you're starting to try when you're trying to convince people out there that Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes are equivalent are, are, are at the equivalence right now of this season I can't take you seriously I, I can't give you credit I can't give you credence. I can't even really give you the time and attention that I'm even giving them right now. So I make myself a hypocrite by saying that. But it, it, it's laughable. It's it's straight up laughable because anybody with two eyes, one eye, or ears that could just hear a game will know the difference between what Patrick Mahomes is doing and what Tom Brady's done this year. It's that simple. Yeah, I mean, if my nose was constantly in a keyboard and all I was doing was doing calculations and looking at numbers right. and statistics and correlations here right. and correlations there, I would obviously – I mean, you can, you can go there, but – if you actually watch football and watch the games and then compare the two, it's it's apples and oranges right now, man. It's not Patrick Mahomes is the superior player, the superior talent, the superior quarterback at this point. There's no way Patrick Mahomes is gonna go out there and play the Saints and leave three points on the board. That's just that's never going to happen. Ever. So if that happens and, 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 and the great part is he's gonna play the Saints here in about a month or so. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean and not only is he always, not only did he score only three <laughs> points last week, oh, yeah. he forgot his downs in one week this year already. Let's just go there. I mean, that's what's upsetting. That's, that is not going to happen with Pat. So, I mean, PFF, they have good stuff at times. They're, 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 it's a lot of, like, overly smart guys, that, but they overthink a lot of things. They overcalculate. They, over, like they overuse analytics. Money bombs. Like, you know what? We need to play the football. Right. Well, number two, compare Tom Brady with the Buccaneers and <laughs> Pat Mahomes is like comparing Kobe Bryant to Washington Wizards Michael Jordan. Yeah. I trust the eye test more than I just trust an algorithm. I'll just go there. Good. I like it. All right, good Eddie already. I appreciate it, man. That's awesome. And uh, Luke, thank you so much for dropping knowledge as you always do, man. You're the best, dude. Seriously, you're always welcome to come and hang out with us. We're gonna take a quick break, guys. We gotta get to the Monday mailbag. We're gonna get back to that after this. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. The mail's here. I can't believe I get to sing this song. Here's the mail, it never fails It makes me wanna wag my tail When it comes, I wanna will It's time for the Monday Mailbag, what we like to do each and every week is we give you guys a platform, an opportunity to discuss, debate, give us your topics. Whatever you guys want to talk about on this show, we basically give you that platform and you take over our show for an entire segment. So let's get right to it. Eddie, on the Monday Mailbag, what's going on in there? All right, man. First question, right off the bat. Uh, This comes from Jeffrey Calling Arrington. Uh, Lance and Trevor, after seeing what the Saints did Sunday night, do you still think the Patrick Mahomes will have a big game against that defense and beat the Saints? Do I expect Patrick Mahomes to have a big game against the Saints? Uh, I mean, if that's the question, then I think it's without question yes, because of the fact that the Saints, um, although they looked great this year in a lot of ways, their secondary is awful. 
And I know that I know that they've made Tom Brady look bad twice. But if we're going to be honest here, the reason why the Bucks have looked bad in some of those games and those two games is because of the fact that the Saints went out there and scored early and made the Bucks have to adjust their game plan. To whereas the Bucks, a lot of times, have been able to control the game where Tom Brady can dink and dunk all night. Bruce Arians likes to throw the ball downfield, and there's always been that conflict between them. But that's been a problem. The Saints read that game plan perfectly. I think the Chiefs are going to take a lot of notes on how the how the Saints uh, played the Bucks when they faced the Bucks. But to the Saints. Look, man, I think that's actually be a really good game. I think it's going to be a really good matchup because they're, they're so different in how they attack their opponent. But I do think that the Chiefs at the end of the game are going to be able to do what they want when they want to on offense because of the fact the Saints have really no countermeasures on how to stop or slow down Patrick Mahomes downfield. So that's why I think he's going to have a monstrous game. And the fact it's going to be inside in a dome late in the season. Drew Brees is going to wear down, which means that there's going to be a turnover differential, in my opinion, for the in the Chiefs favor. I, I just I I think there's I'd be shocked if he doesn't have a great game in this game as opposed to just having an average game. His average games are great games for most people though. For sure. And look we, we, it's, as cliche as it is, matchups make fights, man. Matchups make games. The Saints have the Bucks number. We've seen the, the we've seen the Saints go down to the wire with the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. We've seen them go down to the wire with Nick Foles and the Bears. Right? But for some reason, they they have dominated Tom Brady in this Bucks offense. And it's a good offense. It's maybe the most loaded roster offensively in the league. Probably is after after the AB uh, signing. So um yeah, I mean, Tom Brady just couldn't get it done. He couldn't get the ball going downfield. He was getting pressured. The O-line was has been so spotty this, this year. They've had really good games. The O-line's been good. But if Tom Brady can't get the run game going and can't depend on the play action and can't dink and dunk his way to a victory, he doesn't beat you down the field anymore. Every once in a while, he'll pull one out of his ass with, to, to Mike Mike Evans. and It's a go-get-it ball. Mike Evans is seven foot tall. He can go get those. Um, if he, I mean, He's not going to beat you consistently down the field. So... They ran it up on him, and they, they forced him to beat him downfield, and he couldn't. I don't think the Saints secondary is that bad. I think it's actually pretty good. They have good names. They've been getting beat. They've been banged up, though. They have a very good defensive front. They create very – Sean Payton knows how to create pressure that, up the, on that defense. He always has. He's always, Cam Jordan's had a quietly great season. Cam Jordan's yeah. an absolute beast. They have guys that will get you. So, if they go to – I mean, I'm just saying, matchups – I think the Chiefs are I think the Chiefs are a bad matchup for the Saints, yes. though, because – the way Patrick can create plays on his own, can beat you downfield consistently, has the best deep threat in the league in Tyreek Hill. So, I mean, and then Travis Kelsey on top of that against those safeties, yeah. good luck. I'm yeah. just saying, I think that it's all matchup based. I think they just have the Bucks number. I think they know how to play them well. I think I think Sean Payton just knows how to play Tom Brady. I think he always has. Um, so, I just, I, as far as the Chiefs Saints go, I think it should be a good game. I think it could be a high scoring game, but I don't see that, that Saints defense stopping Pat, man. I just don't. All right. Next question uh, comes from Sippy Sports Show. Does Drew Brees get shut down versus this stock KC defense? No. I, I, I just said, though, I, I do believe he'll wear down. But shutting down Drew Brees is going to be something that I feel like he has to do himself. Drew Brees is not the type of quarterback where you can just shut down. He is unbelievably accurate in the in the 5 to 10-yard range. If you're getting pressure on him, it's going to make his day a lot harder because he's an undersized quarterback. He got his ass shut down last year in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, in the uh, now if we're talking playoffs, I'm, I'm talking regular season football. I'm yeah. just talking regular season football. For sure. I think Drew Brees, I think he's going to do enough to have a, a respectable game. And quite honestly, the Chiefs are terrible in the flats. They're terrible in the middle of the field yeah. on defense. That's where Drew, Bre- Drew Brees reigns supreme. Michael Thomas and Kamara. Yes, exactly. And by that time, they'll have Michael Thomas, Michael, Alvin Kamara. That just give, that gives me nightmares already, man, oh, yeah. to think about what he could do to well, this 
Kaepernick needs to do this. Yeah, I, I don't think he's going to get shut down. I think he'll have. A, I think he'll have a very solid game. And you look at the box scores, you're going to think, oh man, he and he ripped the defense apart. But when you see the score totals, you're going to see that the Chiefs came out and became victors. It's hard to shut, yeah, it's hard to shut down a quarterback who's made almost made. No, I'm not going to like downplay his career. He's been great. He's one of the greats. But I mean, a quarterback for the most of his career who's banked on yak, who's banked on getting guys in space and depending on them to make plays and get, you know, put the, you know blocks on the field and making plays of, of, of yards after the catch. He's very good. They get the ball out so fast, it's hard to get to him. He doesn't get sacked a lot because he gets the ball out so quick. And he's got weapons, and it's a very good offensive scheme team. I don't think we'd shut him down, but I think the, the Chiefs defense could definitely get to him, though, and create some pressure. And if we do that, it's, it's game. All right. Uh, Sippy, uh, Sippy again. Also, Luke as a new head coach of Southern Miss is ideal. He'll be the best father coach on the planet. Yep, I, I would I would tend to agree. I was it was a follow up from last week oh, again, for for Luke. Yeah, so yeah. Well, I mean, if you guys are willing to hire him, do it. <laughs> Take him. Sure. All right, uh, Donnie Couch, uh, next question. Hey, guys, and Trevor, hope you are all having a great day. Is Mahomes the MVP? Yes, right now Patrick Mahomes is the MVP. Uh, I think we talked about that a little bit in the Eddie Hour. He's having an historically great season. Russell Wilson could very well still win it. But if I was voting right this very second, I would give Patrick Mahomes the MVP. Yeah, I mean, we touched on this already. Pat is the best <laughs> football player in the NFL. He's the best, and he's the most valuable. So what was it? They should named it after him. Who, who was the yeah, one Mike Greenberg said they should name the MVP into the Patrick Mahomes Award. Yeah, it's just like it's like That's the, it's it's the LeBron factor. You need <laughs> LeBron needs to be the new logo of the NBA, and Pat needs to be the new logo of the NFL. Fuck All the right. show. <laughs> Next question comes from Donnie Couch. Uh, what are your thoughts on Austin Ryder, or Reader, Ryder, Ryder, getting the start over Daniel Kilgore Sunday? I mean, it's probably the right thing to do, honestly, just because Kilgore, I think, is going to be just a backup. I mean, he, he looked good in a, in, a, in a game against a bad front seven, and they got a lot of praise for it. I get that. But I, at the end of the day, I think the Riders is the better player, and I think that the Chiefs at this point have to t- put the, their best foot forward in getting the best players out there, and I think that's the right move. This is a makeshift offensive line, yeah. man, right now. There's no star on this offensive line, especially with Schwartz out. Schwartz is our best guy, obviously. So having him out, this is a makeshift where, you know, Test it out. You know, if somebody gets a hot hand and someone's looking good out there, and you're rotating your pieces, just leave them out there. I think Ryder probably just won it out in practice that week. Next week, it could be Kilgore winning it out in practice. Who it looks like they have the the better momentum going into each game. Um, yeah, I mean, neither one of them are like oh my god type players. I think they're pretty much the same tier type guy. Um, I like them. They're both gritty guys. I like Allegra. I like I like Kilgore. Kilgore looked good when he was playing, but honestly, it's not something to really dive too deep into. I just think, I mean, they're very interchangeable pieces. Alright. Uh, Johnny Couch again. Is it crazy to say that the, the, the Colts are the biggest threat in the AFC to the Chiefs because of how good that defense is and how the offense of the Colts are starting to get into rhythm? <laughs> no, I, I don't think, I think I think it is crazy to say that right now because I don't think that the Colts are <laughs> Ever. Say that ever. Yeah. Crazy. I, the thing about it is, is the Colts, yes, they have a really good defense. I will give them that and they have an awesome offensive line. So naturally you're going to think, okay, yeah, that would be a team for a recipe of a disaster for the Chiefs. The problem though is that Philip Rivers is owned by the Chiefs. In his career, go look at his numbers against the Chiefs. I mean, they're not good. He has the most most interceptions. Who, who's he throwing more interceptions to in his entire career? The Chiefs. Like, this this defense knows him in and out. And that's what it's going to come down to is quarterback play. They have an awesome offensive line. They're going to they're gonna get themselves a Sam Darnold or someone like that next season. But in the meantime, they're living off of the, the three-quarters throws of Phillip Rivers at this age. It is 
I'm, I hate to sound disrespectful because they just had a big win on national television against a division rival, a team that everyone's been drinking the Kool-Aid on against the Titans. They beat the crap out of them in Tennessee. At the end of the day, though, if the Chiefs were to face them right now, I'd see that game being very similar to how it was two years ago when the Chiefs absolutely dominated them in Arrowhead in the playoffs. In fact, it might even be worse than that because they actually had a quarterback who could throw downfield with some velocity and Andrew Luck. So I'm going to say that, yeah, I, I, all due respect to the Colts, they're not a threat to the Chiefs. I don't care how good a defense is. I don't care. Better offenses, the best offense always beats the best defense most of the time. And the great defensive teams that have won Super Bowls didn't go against the best offenses most of the time. Typically it was a, a two good defensive teams facing off and it's just like that Super Bowl against the Rams and the, uh, the uh, Patriots. Yeah, the Patriots. That was a defensive game, two really good stacked defenses. I mean, I know the Rams had a decent offense at times. Yeah, great offense. I, I mean, that's overall, but they had a very easy schedule that year. They put up a lot of points. I oh, you're talking, about, you're talking about the recent. Okay. That's yeah, not the Super Bowl. Yeah, about the Patriots. Relax. I thought you were talking about the old Patriots. That's a no, no, throwback no, 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 we're talking no, no, about. Yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, yeah. The recent one with the Patriots. Yeah, that, no, that, yeah. That Rams, that Rams offense was still good, though, in 2018. No, 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 yeah, for sure. That was still a good offense. Yeah, yeah, we put up like 100 fucking points against Chiefs that game. Um, no, I'm just... First of all, yeah, you hit it on the head. It's Phillip Rivers. The Chiefs just know how to play Phillip Rivers. Andy Reid and Spagnola know how to play Phillip Rivers. He, we are, I can just see him crumbling heading into a game playing us. And it's just not – I mean, I was more scared of the Andrew Luck-led Colts by far, and that was not nearly as good at defenses. I'm not worried about defenses, man. I'm just not. Pat's going to find a way to get points. Andy Reid is going to find a way to get points. We always do. We beat the best, maybe a historically great, one of the greatest, maybe a top five historically great defense in the Super Bowl last year. Yeah. That was one of the most well put together defenses we've ever seen. Skill alone. Right. Just talent we came alone. Back. Yeah. We were in a deficit and we came back. Yeah. I don't care about defenses, man. This, this That Colts is a good team. That was an impressive win. But Phil Rivers did not look good in that game. And that Titans defense is a fraud. That Titans defense is bad. Their corners are horrible. They don't really create much pressure. They depend on the run game and playing with the lead. They never were able to get a legitimate lead on the Colts, and that's why the Colts won. Yeah, it was an ugly win. But I mean, the Colts are a good team. They're going to be in the playoffs. They're going to. They could probably go into the next round. I can see them winning with that formula. But you don't beat the Chiefs that way. You just don't. And there's not really a formula to beat the Chiefs. There's just not. I think the Raiders were the had the best way of beating us, and they just surprised us with something we weren't ready for. And they, they beat us, and they outscored us. Teams don't normally beat us by the, by the defense. It just doesn't typically happen. So I'm not scared of the Colts whatsoever. I think the Steelers are the best team in the AFC besides the Chiefs right now, and I think they've proven that outside of the ugly win against Dallas. But I, I still would trust Big Ben and their defense more than I would trust Phillip Rivers in that defense. All right. Next question, Donnie Couch again. Uh, my next question is for Eddie, Trevor, and Gat. What are your thoughts on Lance saying that Joe Montana is overrated? <laughs> you guys have that? Okay, Lance is going to be a lot more avid about it. I do think he is overglorified as far as the lore of him because his numbers his numbers are not that great. They're just not, and he had all time great defenses behind him. This happens a lot with because and it's a lot of it, honestly is the way the game has transitioned. The game is more obviously dri- offensively driven. There's a lot more, but obviously that and a lot of people try to use that as a con for like the quarterbacks of nowadays because their numbers are inflated. In reality, it's harder to be a quarterback now because it's, there's so much more pressure on you to perform. Because there's a lot of bad defenses now. Defenses were apps. Everything was defensive and run game back then. And he, and he not only had one of the greatest, if not the greatest, wide receiver of all time in Jerry Rice, and then those all-time defenses. I mean, his, 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 his playoff numbers are not the greatest. I know Lance has got it written on the palm of his hand right now. But I'm not going to go as far to say he's as overrated as Lance says he is. 
But I do think I do think the lure is a little over glorified, and I think the Super Bowls, counting the chips, is just a flawed way of thinking, a flawed way of going about a comparison. And Patrick Mahomes is just better. All right. I know I'm not talking about Patrick Mahomes, but Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback of all time, right? So, I mean, relax, I, I'm, relax, I, relax. I know that's a very touchy subject. There's a lot of old heads that get very offended by that, and there's also a lot of ignorant young people that never even watched him play and just want to say, oh, and then count the rings. It's just, that's going to happen with Tom Brady too. It already is with Tom Brady. You count the rings, but everyone knows if you watch Tom Brady play football and you watch Aaron Rodgers play football, you know who's yeah. the better player. Yeah. You just do, right? So there's a lot of quarterbacks nowadays in this past 20 years that are better than Joe Montana, but we're just not as successful. And success tends to, as time goes on success tends to be the, the key to most people talking about who's the greatest. He just tended to be, he just landed in one of the best spots and and, 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 and was in a great offensive scheme that was, the league was not ready for at that time and he flourished and he won because of defense and an offensive scheme that fit his scheme. He was, he is, he is, he is overrated. I will, I will agree with my brother. I do think he is overrated numbers wise and, and just based off the success is what gets people going. So, Call for what it is. I know it's going to make a lot of people angry, but just just look at the numbers, compare it to the situation, and his success doesn't tell the whole story. It just doesn't. Uh, do you want to add anything to that? Not at all. I yeah, the question wasn't for me. I, I think that I, I, I if you guys want my, if you guys want me to bring a segment out about it, I will gladly do that. All right, he said it. He promised a segment, so we'll see when that's coming. <laughs> All right, next question. Uh, Donnie Couch, is it an overreaction to say cut uh, to cut uh, Harrison Bucker? Bucker. Yes, it's an overreaction right now, but if it continues down the path in the later ends of the season, yes, it needs to it needs to probably happen. Just because of the fact that you can't sacrifice a, a run it back tour on the on the foot of a kicker that you can replace. I know Butker's a really good kicker. He's a damn good kicker. But the problem is he's got the yips. And when you have the yips, you you're not gonna be able to score points on a consistent basis and trust the I mean it's so bad right now that they're talking about the Chiefs should go for two every time they score a touchdown. That's how bad it's gotten. That's how little that's how little faith he has. So I would say that yes, he needs it needs to be in the back of their minds, but it does not need to happen yet. I'm not going to give up on him yet, but it, it needs to be in the back of the minds for sure. No, yeah, it doesn't need to happen, and I don't know who we would go to immediately replace him with, and he's got he's got the leg. We know he can do it. Like you said, he's got the gifts. I think he should try to get some kind of, like, there's a lot of golfers that do this. They get, like, that type of therapist that they talk it through and they work with them. I think he should try to talk to somebody about it. I think he should, because, I mean, get his confidence back. I think on the bye week, they're going to be pounding him hard about it. I think he's going to be doing drills. He's talking to Jesus, okay? Huh? Uh, what? <laughs> no, I, I, it's definitely an overreaction at this point. Um, I still believe in the kid. He's, he, he obviously came up big in the Chargers game. We've seen him come up big in big, big moments and hit big kicks. We're talking 60-plus yards at, a, at certain moments. So, I mean, the guy's got the juice. He's just got to get his mental right. All right, last question. Uh, coming from uh, Brian Herbert. What do you think are the chances of Harden going to the Nets, and would it be a good fit with KD and Kyrie? Uh, 0% chance that happens. I don't think there's any realistic possibility that the Rockets are going to trade Harden unless they're really just trying to just tank it and get as many picks and as many young players as possible, which I do not see being the case right now. James Harden's still in the prime of his career. Um, would he fit? Yes, because KD and, and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving would win. That's that's just too much talent on one team to not win games. So it would fit. I just don't see it happening. So what was the question again? Uh was it, what, what do you think are the chances of Harden going to the Nets, and would it be a good fit with KD and Kyrie? Uh, him and Kyrie would, would beef immediately. I don't see that work with him and Kyrie. I think they're – because we saw how, how it went with him and Chris Paul. They beefed. 
it worked out with Chris Paul better because they, their their games, their styles mesh better. I could not see the the, the, the ball dominance of Katie and Kyrie meshing well with with uh, James Harden. So I just honestly, in my mind, I couldn't see it working. That's just too much. Just like it didn't work in OKC, right? I mean, I know he, James Harden wasn't the guy he is now, but I just, I just, in my mind, I don't see as, a, as an NBA fan as far as correlations go, as far as how I can see an offensive meshing. I just, I think that would kind of throw a screw in the whole thing. So, no, I don't right. think it would work. That for- That's an awesome Monday mailbag, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, we will get to all the questions. I promise, guys. Every single Monday, uh, post them whatever you guys have on Facebook. We'll, uh, we'll definitely get to those. Uh, in the meantime, we have one more order of business, guys. What's it called? Hold this L. I want you to do me a favor and hold this L. Somebody's got to hold that L. <laughs> Le him, the her. I'm talking like caps lock L L L L L L L L Cool J stuff. Hold that L. <laughs> Good God, man! Hold this gigantic, <gasps> veiny, pulsating L. Man, you are one pathetic loser. You ignorant man. <laughs> This time to hold this L, what we like to do each and every week is we hand out some L's, some friendly, not-so-friendly L's in the world of sports. Nevertheless, whichever one they are, whether they're friendly or unfriendly, we promise you that they deserve them. So let's get right to it. Eddie, who is holding the L this week for you this week, man? Why is it F1? (laughs) Not F1. I'll make it it short and sweet. I'm going to give it to PFF. Uh, There's, I mean, I don't know what they're trying to do. I don't know if they're just trying to make Patrick Mahomes look bad. With these uh, turnover-worthy plays. It's fatigue, man. I don't know if they're already tired of it. So, yeah, my L is going to have to go to them, man. There's just no way. Like, why are you making up stats just so Patrick Mahomes looks bad? Is that is that is that what their focus is? Come on now. So, PFF is going to have to hold this L. Trevor, who's holding the L for you this I week? I know you touched on it to open the show, but I want to... I wanna, since you opened with the show, I want to end it with the show on this. And it's not an L, it's a, it's a W. Um, Kim NG. How do you say it? Ng. Ng. Yeah, Kim Ng. I didn't know. I didn't want to butcher it. Yeah, yeah. I already did. Uh, getting that position with the, with the Marlins, becoming the first female GM. I just want to emphasize how important this is in the history of sports, the history for women. Things are starting to change as far as women in sports. I think this is a. I think it's being under talked about how big of a wave this can cause for women. I mean, we've seen with Jeannie Buss just being, you know, the first female GM to, to win an NBA title. If she goes on and has success with the, with the Marlins and, and possibly wins a chip over there, I mean, how amazing is that, you know, to see? It's important, man. It's important yeah. for, I mean, me being a father of a daughter, it's important for new opportunities for women to be able to idolize and possibly want to be. Not just have to be an athlete. You know, it can be a businesswoman and work your way up and, you know, and take the biggest job possible, which is being a GM of a of a, of a, you know, of a franchise, of a whatever, whatever sport it is. It's just, I think it's hyper important. I think it's super beautiful to see this in this time of age. I think it's a beautiful time to be alive. But even with all the shit that's going on, this is a diamond in the rough right now. The story is a diamond in the rough. And I just want to congratulate her uh, and her whole family, you know, her relatives, how exciting that is probably for people that are close to her and knows how hard she's worked to get there. I just want to emphasize on that, man. I know you touched on to start. I want to end on the show to start or to, to end on that, on that note. So we don't have to say anything. I just want I just want to congratulate her one more time and, and have a positive. I didn't want to give out. I didn't have it, yeah. like a legitimate L. So I just figured I'd touch on that you again. Give it to the Texans sure. for firing that uh, the GM. Yeah, 
I just want to congratulate Trevor's him. usually the one that brings us down. He's lifting us up over here. Now i got to still give an elbow because Eddie touched on PFF, and I think that's obviously the, the, the go-to for this week because they've been so bad. But in particular, I want to give it to one of their biggest writers, Sam Munson. A guy that, honestly, has been pretty well-liked uh, throughout the years. Uh, I believe he's from Ireland, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's on he's on 610 Sports Radio in Kansas City all the time. Yeah. Um, but he, here's a thing that Sam made a mistake about doing this week. It was a lot like what we talked about earlier with Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. We all know what Patrick Mahomes' numbers are. 25 touchdowns, one interception. Sam Munson tried to be Mr. Woke this week and said something to the, the, the fact of, well, we know that Patrick only has one interception this this year, but he's also had a ton of interception-worthy throws. Almost interceptions. So, so I decided, you know, let's make a poll real quick. Which one matters more? Interception-worthy throws or actual interceptions? Because we can sit here and talk about, like we talked about this before, um, a couple days ago, Trevor. Yeah. We see plays all the time in the NFL where a guy makes an interception he had no business making. Right. And then we see guys, that a ball's coming right into him and he drops it. Right. Which one is the worthy play? It's clearly the one that was dropped. But see, we don't talk, we don't talk about that. We only want to make that narrative when it's convenient. Mm-hmm. Sam Munson really reached out on this one, and it sounded horrible. I, I, there was no sense in it. He, he talked about yes, Patrick Mahomes having a great season, but there is no but. What we're watching is historic, and I know that it's up close and personal here in Kansas City. But even if it wasn't in Kansas, City, you cannot ignore or try to try to somehow downplay what Patrick Mahomes is doing because a defender dropped an interception here or there. Well, and like I said, it's absolutely like ridiculous. I said to you, my, my, my counterpoint to that is how many almost extra almost touchdowns of Patrick right. Robinson Demarcus Robinson dropped right. two touchdowns in the first game. If Harris. he gets those two touchdowns, we're not talking about Russell Wilson right. having an insurmountable amount of touchdowns compared to Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes would be just on pace of having 50 touchdowns like he did in 2018. It's ridiculous. Sam Munson, you're well-liked, but tonight you're going to do me a favor, brother, and hold, hold this L. L. So that is our show tonight, guys. I want to thank everybody that's been a part of this tonight. For Gat, for being here tonight with us on the ones and twos. For our guy Luke joining us. For our guy Duncan from the Tailgate Podcast being here with us. For everybody that was in the live audience, it was an incredible turnout. We appreciate everybody being here. I know there's a big win tonight out here in Blue Valley, so we're going to let these people celebrate. But in the meantime, for episode 90, for Eddie Ortiz, for Trevor Twidwell, for Gat, for KCPN as a whole, I am Lance Twidwell wrapping this bad boy up. You guys have yourself a great weekend. Enjoy football as much as you can without the Chiefs. But in the meantime, we out of this bitch. Later. See ya. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Nissan believes you deserve a car that thrills you. So we have to ask, does your car thrill you? When you hit the pedal, do you get something back? A chill in your spine, goosebumps on your goosebumps. When you take off, do your fingers tighten around the steering wheel? Does your heart beat in your stomach and your breath catch in your chest? Does driving make you feel alive? Because it should. And if your car doesn't thrill you, ours will. This is the new Nissan.